the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. And joining us this week, former high-ranking government official from two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for uh, being with us this week. Thank you. Um, okay, as we uh, as we move into part two, well, first, I want to give Henry a chance to weigh in because just before we wrapped up the uh, the final hour, um, he he had some comments on uh, we were talking about technology and elections and he wanted to weigh in there so let's let's get that comment and then we'll move on. Uh, thank you, thank you, Tom. I, I'm so glad I heard that discussion because that's a good discussion. The thing I, I want to say is technology is with us forever, as at least during our lifetime, and it's not going away. There's nothing wrong with technology. The concepts and the application and all of that is great. It's getting the rogue elements of human nature out of it. And uh, yet we trust technology to do all, take care of all of our savings, to guide us through operations that's so sensitive that we can't do with hand and eye and so on and so forth. So we, we use technology to guide us to Mars and the moon and everywhere else, and we believe in it. So uh, we don't want to condemn our technology, and I know that you're not doing that, but I want to put a, you know, a good word for technology because it's, we can't live without it. It's that, what do we do with the, 
the rogue element, and that's always going to be part of it. I really you like know, that phrase, Henry, the rogue elements of human nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in terms of in terms of technology, Henry, think about this too. I mean, how often do we all go out and use a credit card to fill up our gas tanks or buy something and it you you know, slip the card in there and we assume it works and nearly all the time it does work correctly. I uh I uh I cannot recall I don't think a significant mistake I've had in my credit cards for a long time. So it's highly reliable when you get out when for, for normal transactions. Well, returning back yeah. to uh, a subject that we touched on at the very beginning of today's show, uh, former President Donald Trump kicked off his revenge tour against Republicans who defied him in the aftermath of the 2020 election on Saturday using a sizable event in Lorain County to lambaste Ohio Representative Anthony Gonzalez for voting to impeach him earlier this year. The effort to oust the Republicans who crossed him will be one of the biggest tests of Trump's post-presidential power, assessing whether he still has the sway with base Republican voters that he enjoyed during his four years in the White House. And on Saturday in Ohio, Trump uh, looked to remind voters of Gonzalez's impeachment vote and boost Max Miller, a former Trump aide who is challenging the congressman in the district's Republican primary next year. Will former President Trump's so-called revenge tour build momentum or diminish as the 2022 midterm elections get closer? I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward diminish, and I say that because I think I'm struck by more and more Republicans seem to be saying, let's move on and talk about some other issues. And they're not, they're not turning on Trump, but they're simply saying, Let's move on beyond that. I, I, I'm seeing, it seems to me, maybe Henry can add more, and, and Mark as well, but it seems like more and more members of the Republican Party are, are willing to look to something else besides the, the 2020 election. And to the extent Trump beats the drum on that over and over and over again and doesn't do anything else beyond that, I suspect he's probably going to fade. But see what others have to say. It will be the American people and not politicians or commenters like us determine the fate of uh, the president. Uh, we have to just wait and see because there are elements that we can uh, decide just from where uh, from our purchases. But we have to wait and see what the American people and businesses think about the world leaders who will all influence the outcome of these efforts as we move toward the election. Well, what do you think about William Barr's statements recently this past week? <clears throat> they were interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that, Paul, because uh, I, I didn't include that in, the, uh, in my notes for this week. Um, but I was about to make a comment that while it was difficult for me to find, um, you know, uh, so-called wall-to-wall coverage of his... Of, uh, former President Trump's remarks in Ohio, I didn't have any trouble finding stories about Trump or people worked, who worked for Trump this last week. In fact, there was a lot in the news about Trump, and that may have been spurred a little bit by his uh, uh, rally in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, for example, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has informed lawyers for the Trump Organization that it could face criminal charges in connection with benefits 
It has provided to company employees, a Trump attorney confirmed Friday. The charges, which uh, could come as soon as this week, would likely involve allegations of a company effort to avoid paying payroll taxes on compensation it provided to employees, including rent-free apartments, cars, and other benefits, a a person familiar with the matter said. The New York Times first reported the contact between the DA's office and Trump Organization lawyers. Prosecutors are also likely to announce charges against Alan Weisselberg, the Trump Organization chief financial officer, as soon as this week. People familiar with it said. Weisselberg's lawyers recently informed prosecutors that he would not cooperate in the investigation, uh, although that could change in the future. What effect will this have on Trump supporters? Do you think they'll they'll even hear this? Hmm. Well, let me say a couple of things. First, to your to your earlier point, I think that um, Biden's in charge now, and there's an awful lot going on. And I think whether Trump, how Trump does substantively, in part, and the Republicans do, uh, will depend upon whether. Biden gets through this agenda and uh, makes it much more radical on the, on the liberal side, as Republicans would feel, or not. Uh, so it's it, there. I think Biden and the Democrats have the ball. But on these investigations, as I read this stuff, Tom, um, and I could be wrong about this, it's penny ante stuff. They're going after perks being given to the CFO that haven't been taxed properly. Uh, They've stopped. Maybe, now, maybe this is not the case, and I've just missed it. But they've stopped writing about fraud and and other uh, corporate crimes that would be considered, um, you know, more egregious, if you will. Uh, and what they what they seem to have focused on is, as I read more recently, is things like oh, the people in the Trump organization being given perks, and then they didn't they didn't tax it properly. That's not going to be seen as huge. Um, Problems, yeah. I think, by the Trump people. That's what I how I would react. Well, Mark has about the same comment that I alluded to earlier, and uh, I think that there are other elements that's going to play a, a bigger role in the outcome of this event than what we visualize and say here. Yeah, I think that to the extent it's, it's limited to his business activities and not his governmental role, I think it'll be written off as well. He's, Trump has always been kind of placed, played loose and fast with the rules anyhow in that area, and that may not really be news to his supporters. So I, if, if there were actually charges dealing with something he had done as president or in a governmental role, I think it would be probably of a different kind of role, different kind of but intensity. Make, make no mistake, Trump has his devout followers. Oh, yeah. And I have not given up on Trump. I'm still a Trump supporter. But I, I urge caution with all of the things uh, that are going on uh, with respect to uh, launching an investigation and all of that stuff where the will detract uh, the attention of many Americans that would otherwise be a strong supporter of the former president. And those are the kind of things that we should all be concerned about. You know, I thought it was it was kind of interesting this morning during the first hour of the show. I had uh, Ross Terrell on from uh, Harvard, who's written uh, a dozen books on China, and he was. Uh, I, I was a little surprised 
Um, he was talking about his uh, new memoir from, uh, it was uh, Australian Bush to Tiananmen Square. Uh, he's been visiting China every year since 1964. And he was really quite complimentary about Trump's uh, interactions with China. I was a little surprised by those comments. I don't know. If yeah, you're... yeah, I, I heard I heard a little bit of the, of that for the <clears throat> program. Another thing that we need to be aware of is how the demographics of the United States will change uh, toward the president Trump, the former president Trump, because there seems to be a lot of uh, conversations that are moving through these. Uh, different cultural communities in support of Trump. Well, Henry, uh, you always uh, you always caution people to, to hold back on, on rushing to uh, decisions about how things will play out because um, things change and people's minds change. And there's been some polling done that shows that uh, a, a, a notable majority of Americans... Um, believe that uh, the audits that are being done on the 2020 election are just simply partisan and, and they're not buying into it anymore. And, and I guess what I would ask, and this, this calls for a little bit of speculation, but will the 2024 presidential election finally bring an end to the debate over the credibility of the 2020 election? Mm. We hope so. Yeah, I, I think just, <laughs> just by, by virtue of being ancient history, by then it will be. But and, and again, I agree with Henry. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I, I think the maybe the one thing we've really, as a nation, suffered from is this lack of trust in, in the most basic institution, that is our election process. Uh, that 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 damage may may last for a while, but I certainly hope that a, a well-run 2024 election and maybe even a 2022 one will help dismiss some of those those. Uh, feelings of distrust. And Mark, I think I cut you off. Were you about to say something? What I was going to say was that, uh, going back to Trump and these investigations, after all, this is a guy who ran as a successful businessman who had been through bankruptcy a couple times. And uh, he's pretty much, his his uh, supporters are going to blow away anything that um, doesn't, doesn't uh, become rise to a more serious level. It just keeps them yeah. in front of those supporters. Uh, I agree with what everybody said. It's just uh, there's we got a long way to go here, um, and 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 thus far, uh, with the possible exception of the governor of Florida, um, nobody seems to be emerging as a Trump-like acceptable figure. Um, in the, in the Republican Party, uh, very early, but you know, DeSantis is the only one who seems to be gathering any sort of uh, stature. Is what I would say. Well, on that note, we're going to take a uh, another quick break, and we'll be back and uh, talk more armchair politics with uh, Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Mark Everson when we return. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV ninety two point one FM. Our Voices Radio, WFOV in Flint. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our uh, political pundits, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter on the left and right, respectively, joined by uh, Mark Everson for this week's edition of Armchair Politics. Rudy Giuliani, the former personal lawyer for former President Donald Trump, who once held one of the legal profession's most prestigious jobs, was suspended Thursday from practicing law in New York. Uh, by an appellate court that found he made demonstrably false and misleading statements about the 2020 election. In a ruling released uh, following disciplinary proceedings, the court concluded that there is uh, uncontroverted evidence that Giuliani, the former Manhattan U.S. attorney, communicated demonstrably false and misleading statements to courts, lawmakers, and the public at large in his capacity as lawyer for former President Donald J. Trump and the Trump campaign in connection with Trump's failed effort at re-election in 2020. Giuliani's conduct immediately threatens the public interests and warrants interim suspension from the practice of law, the court wrote. The suspension of his law license marks a precipitous fall for the former New York City mayor, once considered an accomplished and formidable force in legal circles. In recent years, however, Giuliani's reputation has suffered as he has come under criminal investigation by the office he used to lead, the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office uh, for possible illegal lobbying. He has denied wrongdoing. Um, can this and other actions like this uh, restore the standard of fact-based evidence in court proceedings? Hmm. I don't know. That it got so confusing. Yeah, I, I had mixed feelings. I had certainly little sympathy for what Giuliani's become in recent years. But I, what occurred to me is I wonder, I mean, when a defense attorney claims that my client's not an ex-murderer, uh, when in fact he is, uh, it, don't those kind of things happen commonly in in legal circles? I mean, I can see, uh, yeah, like I say, I got a little sympathy for for Giuliani. It's kind of sad what's happened to his career. Are you suggesting, Paul, that some lawyers routinely bend the truth? <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. Not routinely, but <laughs> often. <laughs> You know, I say if you're a defense lawyer for an ex-murderer, you say, my guy's not an ex-murderer. Yeah. <laughs> it's called hyperbole. Right, right. Remember that, well, that the courtroom scene in Miracle on 34th Street when the uh, prosecutor's son is brought in to testify on behalf of the defendant, Santa Claus, and uh, they're they're swearing him in, and he's, he's very young, so the, the court clerk says, uh, um, you know the difference between... Uh, telling the truth and telling a lie and he says well yeah everybody knows you're not supposed to lie especially in court (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) well what i was going to say here i went to work i was you say tom i worked six years in the reagan administration and one of my assignments was i worked for ed meese who was the attorney general in the second term very powerful guy and uh I was on his personal staff at, at DOJ, and every morning was in the meeting of the senior senior people. And um, Giuliani had been 
one of William Prince Smith's top lieutenants, and then he went back to New York to go be the, run the you know the Southern District and everything. And people rolled their eyes about Giuliani then because he was always he was very talented, but a showboater. And then he became the you know the mayor and everything else. And it's been uh, and then if you remember, he tried to hold on after nine eleven. He was term limited. But Good morning, tried, Bill. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm sorry. He tried to hold on, but couldn't. And everything, it seems to me, has been this search for relevance to stay, you know, stay in the game. And it's just gotten more and more bizarre. Uh, the other thing I'd say is there was an article, I think it was in the Washington Post, this, an op-ed this week. George Conway, you know, Kellyanne Conway's husband, who was no Trump person, right. saying, that, saying that the lawyers held, you know, Barr and other things are coming out now. The D Department of Justice... They resisted Trump's efforts to have investigations. Uh, and all over the country, there are people, we've talked about this before, and Republicans in Michigan, people, the system held. It may have been sloppy. There may have been a lot of, uh, of issues. But in the end, you know, January 6th, that did not work. So, uh, and it really was largely the lawyers who stood up and said, no, we're not going to go there. We can't do that. That's the step too far, even though, as you say, they are. They are creative in defending their their, <laughs> their, um, their clients, but I do think the lawyers came through here Good and point. Did, yeah. draw, did draw the line, and Giuliani's an exception, so I can't say I'm sorry to see what's happened to him. Yeah. Well, here's, here's an interesting one, and I know Henry's going to have uh, something that he wants to say about this. The White House is asking the public for help over the next 30 days on how to best restore scientific integrity to the federal government as a part of its effort to bring science back to the forefront of policymaking and restoring faith in government, no small task. Earlier this year, the White House Office of Science and Technology launched a 46-person scientific integrity task force to review the federal government's scientific policies to ensure they are free from inappropriate political influence as several top health officials under former President Donald Trump publicly admitted they faced political pressure while, during, while doing their jobs during the coronavirus pandemic. Can science influence policy without politics influencing science? Hmm. I would say hopefully, but the reality may be quite different, I suspect. Yeah. It's, um. I, I Look, I don't think it's any different than any other issue here. There, There's a series of facts that get developed, but then the policymakers hopefully use those facts. They don't distort the facts. But then they say, we're not going to take this decision. We're going to do something different. I mean, the CDC had a lot of data, but then they couldn't communicate uh, correctly. We've talked about this before. They'll say, okay, it's safe to fly, but don't fly unless you have to. I mean, that is a total distortion of, yes. uh, of, of the facts, if you will. They've, made a, they've, they've thrown a policy judgment over it. Uh, they've got to say what they've got to do a better job of explaining the policy choice they've made, whatever the science holds, or whatever the data holds on the budget or on any series of issues. I mean, come on, that's, uh, that's what the problem here is, that people will distort the facts, and Trump was terrible at this, of course. 
Now, how many of us have ever tried to tell the truth in every circumstance under all conditions? We can't. The, the truth will not prevail in all circumstances because people need to rationalize to protect other interests that are closely associated with the issue. And it's like uh, writing a paper to the federal government to, uh, uh, in support of something that a company violated. They have to say it in such ways that you don't, you don't uh, cause more damage to the company. And uh, so you rationalize. Like, for example, this shall never happen again because we're doing this, 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 and that. But knowing that you don't have control of all of the, the issues that uh, will cause this kind of, of resolution of a problem. And we, we do that all the time. We do it in every system of endeavor of human nature. We do it personally, too. I notice that I do it occasionally. And uh, so I don't think that <laughs> it's difficult to get away from it. And uh, politics does and both scientific uh, data. Well, you know, you, you, the thing is, too, you're always dealing with different sets of truths. On one hand, I'm thinking of the yeah. water crisis here, where there was the, the scientific truth about what the chemicals were doing to the pipes, but then there was also the financial truth about the financial troubles that the city was in, and you had to cut spending and all that. Yes. So that, you, how do you balance definitely. off those two truths? Yeah. Yes. That's the, yes. that's the point that I was trying to get at. You got it better at it better than I did, Paul. I mean, you, the policymaker has to make tough decisions where there are competing interests. And, uh, but you shouldn't distort the facts. But it doesn't mean just, I mean, to me, Fauci's attitude has been that until we have no risk uh, and nobody's going to die, we're going to keep things uh, locked down. I mean, that's an ex I'm, actually, I'm exaggerating, but that's been the overall approach that we can't take any chances on this. And what has happened, and I think this is one of, one of the good things through the pandemic, is different states have taken different decisions, and there, there hasn't been a rigid adherence to, to politics, if you will. But that doesn't give you license to change the facts, and the facts are, are clear as to who gets the disease or why you, you, know, why you are more susceptible to it. It's just they shouldn't be manipulated or, as Trump did originally, saying, oh, this is not a serious problem. That's... that's that is a distortion of science, a distortion of facts, and that is not helpful at all. And then there are other issues with we don't have all of that. We, we only have the facts that's available to us at that moment. But there's still much investigation, and we take risk in trying to uh, uh, provide a coherent statement to something that's yet problematic. <laughs> Henry, that's the old Donald Rumsfeld. He said we have the, the knowns, <laughs> and then we have the known unknowns, and then we have the unknown unknowns. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's right. That's yeah. right. Especially on something moving like the uh, pandemic was. I mean, geez. Yeah, well, we ended up learning all kind of new things about the pandemic as it played out. I mean, these are some early yeah. assumptions about how you got it and whether you couldn't touch surfaces or touch your mail. We, we, we modified that as time went on and learned more about it. Look, I have uh, one story. Maybe I've told this before, but I have a, a friend from college who has been out in the Oakland area for four decades, and uh, he's a doctor at a, at a public hospital out there, a very worthwhile guy. And early in the pandemic, 
all of the young people uh, pulled him in and they wanted him to put, uh, agree to put somebody on a ventilator. Who uh, All the literature said, this guy is needs a ventilator. And he said, I'm not putting him on the ventilator because all of his readings are poor, but he's not acting like he needs to be on a ventilator. And there was a rush. He said they're trying to overrule four decades of clinical experience. And sure enough, as time went on, people realized that putting on putting the patients on ventilators was oftentimes a death sentence. So, I mean, hmm. but that didn't mean that these people were acting in ill will. They were just responding to what they saw and knew and uh, what, were, what they were reading on the Internet, frankly. Yeah, the, the nature <laughs> of science is you learn new things. I mean, it, it, Exactly. It, 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 well, after the last several years of, of fake news, misinformation, alternative facts, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit fascinated with people's efforts to uh, try to restore uh, integrity to whether it's to, to science or uh, other knowledgeable people when they share good information. Um, you know, we should build policy based on the best information, and 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 we have to know that the information that we're getting is the best. And and how do we know that? Well, there are certain people that you know we should be able to uh, trust that they're sharing good information with us. Right. You know, if if I had a if I had a choice to uh, sanctify some of the information that I believe that's well thought out and without politics. It's the kind of information that comes through the space agency that put these rockets on, on different planets. Those guys use the best of all of the available information to do that. And they have very few mishaps. Can you imagine what it takes to put a rocket on Mars in a certain place, bring it down in an atmosphere that's only 5% of that of the Earth, and the pressure's different, and uh, without tipping it over. Uh, that is so profound. And have all of the components function properly in secondary situations where it accomplished the missions of looking around the space to see what's there. That is incredible. That's good information. That's the kind of information that we Look, look at the vaccines. It's a miracle. That, uh, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a triumph of mankind's efforts and science effort, and of, frankly of American technology and medicine and science, that uh, we developed the vaccines that we did uh, as quickly as we did. It's quite remarkable. Yes, it is. That was quite remarkable. You know, to pick up on your space analogy, I'm struck by what's, what strikes me about that is the lack of partisan division there. Unlike so much that revolved around the pandemic, I'm not aware that Democrats and Republicans differ on whether we should go to Mars or to Venus or Pluto or something else. I mean, I think those decisions are made in a scientific way, and I, I'm not aware that there's any political partisan difference that, that motivates those decisions. But you've seen the, the partisan role playing a large thing in the pandemic and so many other scientific areas, too. Well, I just, yeah. I, I just see, uh, you know, I, I, I'm with Henry. I, I'm amazed, and, and Mark, too, at, at the things that can be accomplished 
um, through scientific uh, investigation and yeah. validation. And, and I like to see any effort to return integrity to that. And, and I, for one, will go on record as saying um, that I believe man actually did walk on the moon. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. President Joe Biden announced Wednesday that he will nominate Cindy McCain as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture, elevating a longtime friend and Republican ally to an administration post. If confirmed by the Senate, McCain, the widow of longtime Republican Senator John McCain of Arizona, whose relationship with the president spanned decades, will represent the U.S. in a specialized U.N. role focused on ending global hunger and expanding access to quality foods worldwide. I am deeply honored and look forward to the work ahead. McCain wrote in a tweet, the announcement underscores Biden's push for bipartisanship in Washington and the path traveled by McCain, a lifelong Republican, into the embrace of the Democratic Party after former President Donald Trump made an enemy of John McCain, the GOP's 2008 president nominee. Cindy McCain endorsed Biden during the 2020 presidential race and was later featured in campaign ads describing him as a leader who can cross party lines and unite the country. Is this true bipartisanship or, or old school reward for political support? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah, I hope yeah. it's a bit of both. Uh, this is a... No, I, I agree with that, and I, I would just note that uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the food uh, operation of the UN, and it's also based in Rome, so she'll eat well. Is what I <laughs> <laughs> it's a good assignment. Yeah, it's a, it's a plum assignment. It's a wonderful assignment. Right, right. Well, as as my dad used to say, "When in Rome, do as the Romans," and I suppose that means eating too. <laughs> Well, let me just take a look ahead here and see if there's, uh, we've got a couple of minutes before the break. Um, oh, I know. Uh, Paul always sends me over an email with a few bullet points on things that, you know, we might consider talking about on uh, Wednesday's Armchair Politics. And um, usually we're, we're pretty well aligned, but there are two or three points, and I'll just, I'll just bring them up and... and uh, uh, and and we'll use the time. Um, infrastructure bill. Does it finally have bipartisan support? How 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 is that looking to everybody? It, it, it looks like with it when, especially when Biden kind of backtracked on his other his earlier comment. It looks like I think it's going to have it. At least that's my take now. What's, what's everybody else think? You think the recent weather had anything to do with helping that along? The weather and then the collapse of the building in Florida and the collapse of the of the, uh, the bridge in, in D.C. may have underlined the importance of infrastructure in many ways, too. Well, Governor Whitmer went to Detroit to uh, flooded regions there and That's right. called, it, called it a, um, a failure of uh, infrastructure uh, stressed by global warming. Yeah, yeah. So... And I think I think the infrastructure issue is the thing where, where, where to some extent, both parties can get on board. I mean, there'll be unhappy campers in both parties too. But I think there's enough on. At least my guess right now is that there'll be enough in both parties to make it make it fly. Yeah, I think yeah, this goes. 
No, go ahead, Larry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Mark. I was just going to say, look, I think that uh, Biden had to get the Republicans on board on this. If he didn't, uh, there would be no shot at anything else sort of moving up, moving along. And this way, he can tout a success. Uh, I just think he blundered uh, when he made the initial statement at whatever it was an hour or two after they he announced the deal and said, uh, yeah. I've got to have them both. You know, let, let Pelosi do that and then see if it sticks. But he, right. he, shouldn't, right. he shouldn't have gotten in there. And uh, there was a column Ignatius wrote uh, saying, you know, the, the, the progressive have got nowhere to go. They've got to support Biden. And I think that's largely true. So they've got to go with the bipartisan deal and then see if they can get the votes to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And also, Mitch McConnell has come out in support of Joe Biden, despite of all of the, the ugly, uh, tenuous situations that they have. Uh, he remembers Joe Biden as being a person that he worked with uh, to accomplish certain things when they were in the Senate together. And so I, um, I, I, I think... Uh, Joe Biden is doing the things he needs to do to get the Republicans uh, on his side, uh, despite of all of the criticism that he's getting from Democrats and perhaps from other Republicans. But he's doing the things that need to be done because we can't move ahead uh, uh, unilaterally. We have to come together and make all of this work or nothing works. And American people are waiting for decisions from Washington that benefits the country. Another thing that was on Paul's list that I sort of skipped over was uh, the Flint City Council is is voting on the uh, garbage contract with Republic Services today. Um, and that contract expires tomorrow. Right. <laughs> And our, and our garbage pickup is tomorrow, so we'll see if we have service. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they are meeting today, and it sounded like, as usual, they were divided and very contentious when discussing it earlier. Uh, so, well, I, I'm well, not sure. We'll know in a week or two how things are going if uh, garbage starts piling up. As it, exactly, exactly, and in this weather especially. Remember the uh, great experiment uh, during the um, uh Dane Walling administration. I do. Yeah. <laughs> every two. For Mark's benefit, they decided to try every other week pickup, but they did it in August instead of February. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and it, it was horrendous. Garbage was piling up for two weeks at a time. The, the, the whole town was stinking. And it, yeah. And I, I tell Mark, we have, we're currently having Mississippi-style weather here in Michigan. It's very hot and humid this last week, and it does yep. remind you of Mississippi. No, it's, uh, I understand what you're talking about. You gotta, but we have the advantage of like winters. The, they could try you know, these kinds of experiments during the winter months, and, and it might be successful and save a couple dollars. But no, they had to try it in August. <laughs> no, it's look, it's like the old the Chicago mayors, were, uh, uh, you know, Jane Byrne. I think they had in the Atlantic. They had the snow. Uh, they had right. snow, snow removal. removal. You got to you got to take now, care of cer- certain blocking and tackling. 
Yep. Well, no, speaking no, of taking care of certain blocking and tackle, we have to take a short break here. But we'll be back with uh, the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome to the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, the segment we call The X-Files, where we look at those weird and wacky stories that are strange but true. Like this one, a woman attempted to prank her former co-workers by wearing the same Hawaiian shirt to hundreds of Zoom meetings. But the joke ended up on her uh, the resident of Washington, D.C., who, whom uh, Inside Edition identified only as Jackie, said she wore the shirt to 264 remote meetings <laughs> between April 2nd, 2020 and June 16, 2021. I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I wore this shirt again? Like, that'd be a funny joke and everybody would say something. Sadly, no one said anything. And then I thought, well, I'm going to keep doing this until someone notices, and no one ever noticed. Jackie finally spilled the beans about her shirt on her last day of work, and the reaction was not what she expected. When I told my team that I had been wearing the same shirt, they didn't know what I was talking about. They hadn't noticed. Uh, The intern literally said, on purpose, so there's that. Jackie said. However, she told Inside Edition she has yet to wear the shirt to her new job. Are people going to have to rethink their wardrobes in a post-pandemic normal, and will Casual Friday go to an extreme new normal? (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine so. We're all in the habit of just uh, wearing the same clothes day after day around the house. Well, speaking of laundry... (laughs) <laughs> I was wondering, did she do laundry with with that shirt over the uh, over the past year and a half? Well, that's that's what I wondered. Yeah. But uh, but speaking of laundry, how do astronauts do laundry in space? Hmm. They don't. They wear their underwear, gym clothes, and everything else until they can't take the filth and stink anymore. Then junk them. NASA wants to change that, if not at the International Space Station, then the Moon and Mars, and stop throwing away tons of dirty clothes every year, stuffing them in the trash to burn up in the atmosphere aboard discarded cargo ships. So it's teamed up with Procter & Gamble to figure out how best to clean astronauts' clothes in space so they can be reused for for months or even years, just like on Earth. 
The Cincinnati company announced Tuesday that it will send a pair of tide detergent and stain removal <laughs> experiments to the space station later this year and next all part of the galactic battle against soiled and sweaty clothes. It's no small problem, especially as the U.S. and other countries look to establish bases on the moon and Mars. Rocket cargo space is tight and expensive, according to NASA, so why waste it on new outfits if their clothes could be kept looking and smelling fresh? When you figure an astronaut needs 150 pounds of clothes in space per year, that quickly adds up, especially on a three-year Mars mission, said Mark Civic, a chemist specializing in fabric and home care technology for Procter & Gamble. There's also the health and ick factors. How long will it take before we start seeing testimonials from astronauts on the space station in laundry detergent TV commercials? That's a, well, I was just thinking this is going to be a lot of great slogans for advertising the, the latest laundry detergent. This is was gonna. I was gonna ask is, um, I go in and I buy detergent, and I have no idea whether you're supposed to get the he or the stuff that's not labeled he, and what if you know what I'm talking about. What are they going to use up there? That's what I would wonder. <laughs> going to be different. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. But in other space news, uh, feel, uh, feeling like you're being watched, it could be from a lot farther away than you think. Astronomers took a technique used to look for life on other planets and flipped it around. So instead of looking to see what's out there, they tried to see what places could see us. There's a lot. Astronomers calculated that 1,715 stars in our galactic neighborhood and hundreds of probable Earth-like planets circling those stars had an unobstructed view of Earth during human civilization, according to a study Wednesday in the journal Nature. When I look up at the sky, it looks a little bit friendlier because it's like maybe somebody is waving, said study leader, author, or lead, study lead author Lisa Kattenberger, uh, director of the Carl Sagan Institute at Cornell University. Even though some experts, including the late Stephen Hawking, warn against reaching out to aliens because they could harm us, she said it doesn't matter. If those planets have advanced life, someone out there could conclude that there is life back here based on oxygen in our atmosphere or by the radio waves from human sources that have swept over 75 of the closest stars on her list. Hiding is not really an option, she said. Um, do you think we're being watched by uh, space aliens, and are they more afraid of us than we are of them? Um, to tell you, I don't believe I don't believe we're being watched by anybody because it's so far away. You guys look at that. Can you imagine the closest star is four and a half light years away? Faulty years away. And yeah, I you're right, Henry. There are many places in our own galaxy that can see us, but the time that they sent the signal out might have been millions of years ago <laughs> or 10 years ago right. I'm, I'm, I think we, yeah i think we got enough to worry about with the russians watching us i mean come on <laughs> that's true yeah, yeah. I, 
And I've always thought if they were watching us and looking for intelligent life, they'd, they'd go away discouraged. <laughs> well, r- remember, yeah. remember that year, Paul, that I had, uh, uh, I interviewed three sitting Flint mayors in the same calendar year? Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. And, yeah. uh, and and I remember saying any sign of intelligence. <laughs> if aliens landed on the bricks on Saginaw Street and walked up to a Flint resident and said, "Take me to your leader," they just shrugged their shoulders. And said, well, I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, while Pope Francis is usually the star at Vatican uh, Vatican gatherings. Spider-Man, or at least an Italian who dresses up like the character, was the attention grabber among the public lined up in rows during the Pontiff's weekly Wednesday audience. Matteo Viardita, 28, dons the uh, comic book and uh, movie superhero outfit to cheer up hospitalized children like those at the Vatican's pediatric hospital, which he planned to visit later on Wednesday. He said he asked Pope Francis to pray for the children and their families. The Vatican described Viardita um, as really a good superhero and quoted him as saying that during Italy's long months of pandemic lockdown, he made more than 1,400 video calls since he wasn't able to visit in person to help ailing children smile. Um, Do you think uh, Matteo a.k.a. Spider-Man holds the record for wearing the same shirt in Zoom calls? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of the X-Files and the uh, and Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. We've got about a minute left if anybody wants to squeeze any, any final thoughts in. Well, just just looking for the, as we get towards the fourth, we're not quite at 70%, but it looks like at least for the moment we're opening up, and my only hope is that it holds and we don't see another spike in the fall or other things come along the way, but there is a different kind of feeling in the air about the pandemic. Well, and I I hope that that I see um, Paul and Henry here uh, on the fourth. Mark, you're certainly invited, but it's a bit of a hike. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, we'll put it on the list, Tom. That's very, it's very high up on my list. <laughs> well, I, uh, I just, I want to say thanks to uh, all of you, Mark Everson. Mark, it's always such a treat when you join us. Well, thank you. And of course, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki. Paul, thank always you. Always good to be here. And and Henry, thank you. And and I hope I see you both on the fourth. But I'm sure I'll see you on the 7th when we do Armchair Politics face-to-face. Thanks, and, guys. And I, I apologize for the background noise. I'm at the airport, and uh, it's difficult. I hope it hasn't interfered with the show. Thank you. Well, take care, Take Henry. care, Henry. Bye-bye. And that's Smoking George Winters. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the uh, living room. But uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I also want to say thanks to my guests during the first hour today, Ross Terrell, talking about China. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.